interesting. The title of this message tonight is called A Rock in a Hard Place. A Rock in a Hard Place. And uh, it's a a story of Jonathan, who was King Saul's son. It's a story that a lot of you might know about and and the journey he went on with his armor bearer and what he did to set the people of Israel up for uh, really victory in the land. See, they were struggling at that time, and the Philistines were really dominating the land that they were meant to be in. So it was, it was a promised land for the children of God, but the Philistines had gone in there and taken back territory that belonged to the children of God. And so it ta- the story takes up in this place and in this position where Jonathan is, and, and he sees that there's these things happening, but then Jonathan desi- decides to do something about it. So I want to preach this message, and it's about a rock and a hard place and how we can overcome it, because we have to be able to overcome things to be where God has called us to be. That's why the Bible says to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes. God has called you, you and I, to be overcomers, to overcome something. How many people ever overcome something in here? Anybody ever o- overcome something? Good. I had overcome some things in my life. If, if you have seen my wife before, she just took our beautiful daughter to kids' church. But uh, if you've seen her, she is absolutely gorgeous and like six inches taller than me. And she's either getting taller or I'm getting shorter. I'm not sure which one it is. Every time people people look and, and when we introduce ourselves, I'm like, hi, my name's David. She's like, hi, my name's Brianna. Oh, husband and wife. They're like... That's your wife? I'm like, yeah, thanks. Yeah, there she is. Yeah, thanks. That's my wife. That's right. Thanks. I got a good personality. Thanks for the reminder. But, but I, I realized, I realized this. I realized that, uh, you know, if I wanted to be with her, people were like, oh, doesn't it bother you that she's like so much taller? I'm like, stop reminding me. But truthfully, it doesn't. It doesn't. I knew that I had overcome something. I had to overcome insecurities. I know this might be a little bit carnal, but just go with me that I had to overcome some insecurities if I wanted to be with somebody who I really loved. I had to overcome some things. Let me tell you this story. Before we got married, some of you know this story. Before we got married, I met Brianna. I met her at church. After church, we went and got a California burrito and orange chicken. That's a true story. We went and did those things. It was incredible. But, but after that, on the way home from meeting her, I thought, this is great. She's in love with me already. I mean, if you're a girl and you have a California burrito and orange chicken with a guy on the same day, you might as well just get married. I didn't even need to propose. Like, that was it. It was over. So she did that. So, so we had that. So I call her up on the way home. I'm like, I, I probably don't even need to ask her out. She's probably, like, going to beg me to ask her out. How could she not, right? So I call her up. I'm like, oh, is Brianna there? Because her mom answered the phone, which is intimidating. So she's like, yeah, she she is. So she comes on the phone. I'm like, hi. I know I just left your house about 30 seconds ago, but um, you probably really wanted to hear my voice. No, I didn't say that. I said, so I just want to know what you're doing Thursday lunchtime because I'd really love to get lunch. And I'm expecting like, oh my gosh, I never thought you'd ask. I can't wait. Oh, anything you want to do. But as I say that, on the other line, I hear silence. And I'm looking at my phone to see if it disconnected and I dropped the call. But sure enough, I was connected. I heard silence. And then what I hear is, um, and that's never a good thing. It's never like a, um, yeah. That's never it. So she says, um, I don't think so. 
So I thought we really hit it off. I thought we really hit it off, but obviously the California burrito and orange chicken wasn't enough. So, so I go back to the base that I'm on because I was in the Navy, so I went back to the base, and I, I had a, a cell phone at that time, and on the base there was something they put like a signal jammer or something up, right? So I, had the, I was on base for about a year before I met Brianna with my phone, and for that entire year, I never received a call once. I never got a call. I never was able to make a call. Like, never, ever, ever. Never, like, half a ring, and you're like, hello, 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 you there? No, no. Never one of that. Never. And then one day, I'm sitting there on a, I think it was a Saturday morning or a Friday, and my phone starts to ring. And I look at the caller ID, and it says Brianna Williams on it. And I'm thinking, this has got to be God. My phone has never rung before, and sure enough, my wife is calling me. This is awesome. Or future wife. I was just calling her my wife at that time. <laughs> wife, speak, it, speak those things that aren't as though they are, right? That's how I did it. Yeah, that and a lot of money. So, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, uh, so I, I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello? She's like, hi, blah, 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 blah. We talked about something, and she says, hey, what are you doing this Saturday? And I probably had plans. But when she asked me, what am I doing this Saturday? My response, nothing anymore. Because honestly, it doesn't matter what she wanted to do. I was game. Like, I didn't care. I was going to cancel anything because I just wanted to spend time with her. Like, if she wanted to, like, say, hey, I just love throwing rocks. Would you like to come stand up against the wall and let me throw rocks at you? I would have been, sign me up. Hit me in the face, hit me in the back, I don't care. As long as I get to hang out with you, bring it on. Like if you see my wife afterwards, just come and take a picture of her. She's gorgeous. You'd be crazy not to do the same thing. So she calls me up, and, and just so you know a little backstory, at, at this time, I, I, I really, really dislike cold water. I really dislike it. Like, I really dislike it. Like, to me, it, it is not fun to go to the beach when the ocean's cold and jump in the waves. That's not fun. It's fun for me to go to the beach. Now, now just, I spent a lot of time in the ocean and a lot of time in the water, but that, that doesn't mean I really like it, okay? So a good time to me is sitting on the beach while other people jump in the ocean. That's a great time when I get to watch him. Now, if I'm in Hawaii, that's a different matter because Hawaii is not like normal ocean water. It's like a hot tub. It's a hot, salted tub. It's the best thing ever. But here in San Diego, most of the time, it's pretty cold. And if you're like, no, it's not, whatever. It's pretty cold. So I don't like getting in the water. I, don't, I do not like getting in the water. I tried surfing a couple times, and, and I could never surf. I could never surf. I went out with Pastor Jurgen once, and, and if you've ever seen him surf, he's a phenomenal surfer. And I went out there to surf, and I just gave up and just watched him surf. That's how bad I am at surfing. Because it wasn't surfing. I don't stand up on the board. I, like, paddle out and then get tossed by the waves. And just get freezing cold and worn out the whole entire time. So I don't like surfing. I don't like the cold water. And so she calls me up and says, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Nothing. Okay, well, I really love surfing. Would you come out with me surfing? And with no hesitation, I said, absolutely. And I hate surfing. So we go out to Del Mar Beach, and she takes me, and it was, must have been a crazy day because the waves were really, really small. And she took me to a place where the, where the sand was not sand, but like sharp uh, dagger-like rocks. And if you're not a good surfer, you're not standing and avoiding the rocks. You're falling and getting pummeled by the rocks. 
So she takes me out there. She's like, how you doing? I'm like, really good as I'm bleeding everywhere. Le legitimately, I'm falling off the board and just getting thrown and, and trashed by these rocks and waves. But honestly, but honestly, it was worth it. It was worth it because of who I got to spend time with. It was worth it because I, I, I made a decision that, that was, if I wanted to spend time with Brianna, I had to overcome something. If I wanted to spend time with this person that, that I could see myself with, then I had to overcome something that I did not want to do. I had to overcome an insecurity in my life. When I came to this church, Pastor Jurgen said, I need you to do this, and I need you to say this, and I need you to be in this place. And for me, it was really awkward because my idea of a good time was going to a movie by myself. That was it. That's what I loved. But when he asked me, you need to step out. You need to do this. You need to go here. I had to trust that he knew what he was talking about, and I had to understand that I had to overcome something in order to get to where God had called me to be. See, tonight you're sitting in here, and God has a destiny for your life. He's got a plan for your life. He's got something excellent and outstanding for your life. But in order for you to get to that place, you have to overcome something. You have to get over something. So I want to tell you the story of how Jonathan had to overcome some battles with his armor bearer to get to where God had called him to be. So this story picks up in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And, and again, this is when the Philistines pretty much were, were dominating the land. And in verse 19, this is what it said. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattocks, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening was a pim for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and axes, and to set the points of the goats. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. So we see this story pick up, and it, and it starts by saying that there was, there was no weapons in any of the children of Israel's hands, and as well, all the enemy took away the, the means to make any weapons. So they had no weapons to fight with and no way to make any weapons because the enemy doesn't want you to have a weapon. Nor does he want you know, for you to know how to make any weapons. He doesn't just want to take the weapons from you. He wants to take away your means of making and constructing any weapons. That's why it's so important on a Sunday night at 5 p.m. to be in the house of God more than any place else. Why? Because in this house, the team, the pastors, the leaders are going to teach you not just how to use your weapon, but how to make some weapons, how to operate in the power and the giftings of the Holy Spirit. So the enemy knew that if I, got, if I wanted to defeat the children of Israel and the people of God, I couldn't just take away weapons because if I just take away weapons, somebody who believes in God and somebody with some fortitude will just learn how to make some new ones. So they had to take away some weapons. But what I love... What I love is when the enemy comes to steal, God always provides a way out. So he came and took away all the weapons, but Jonathan and Saul had a sword. But Jonathan and Saul had a sword. In verse 1 in chapter 14, Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitab, 
Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other Senna. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you, according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come up to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, thus, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us, and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earthquake, so that it was a very great trembling. And the story continues, and basically what happened is Saul brought his men up after that, and they came up to the place where the enemy was, and they saw that the enemy was not fighting was not fighting their enemy but the enemy was actually fighting each other because there was so much confusion because of one man in his armor bearer because of one man in his armor bearer when nobody else had a weapon when nobody else had a sword Jonathan did but what I love about Jonathan is this is is he knew that he had to do something He knew that he had a weapon in his hand, but unless the weapon was put to the test and put to the trial, that weapon was good for nothing. So you and I each have weapons in our hand, and our weapons are not just meant to sit down or not meant to look at, not meant for us just to shine and put in a display case for everybody to see, but a weapon is meant to be used against the camp of the enemy. A weapon is meant to be used. Jonathan said, I'm not going to sit here. I'm going to go up and do something for God. I'm going to go up and make war on the camp of the enemy because nobody else has a weapon, but I got a weapon. And if it's just me, it's just going to be me. And the Bible doesn't say anything about his sword. It doesn't say that his sword was mightier than any other sword. It doesn't say that it was sharper than any other sword. It doesn't say that it was stronger than any other sword. It just said he had a sword. But we compare our gifts with other people's gifts. We compare our lives with other people's lives, saying, I wish I was like this, and I wish I was like that. Man, I wish I had the same gifts and abilities as this person, but God's not asking you to be that person. He's asking you to be you. He's not asking you to pick up the sword of another man. He's just asking you to use the gifts that he's given you. So build the house of God. Every gift that God has given you is for a purpose, and it's not to make your name famous, but it's to build the house of God. God has given me gifts and abilities, and and as soon as I stop using it to build the house of God, I think as soon as God stops or starts removing the anointing from my life, God has given me those gifts, and He's given you those abilities to build the house of God, to do something extraordinary. They were able to defeat the Philistines because Jonathan used a sword that was in his hand, and this is where 
I want to I want to walk you through this because again the title of this message is a rock in a hard place and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But this is what it says. This is all kind of an introduction to set you up. And I know I'm I'm going to preach quick because I don't want to go over. But this is what it says. Now it happened one day that Jonathan the son of Saul said to the young man who bore his armor, "Come, let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side." But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. And then it says the priest was there. The priest was there. And the priest was wearing an ephod. Saul was under the pomegranate tree and a priest was wearing an ephod. But yet Saul, or Jonathan had already gone up to the camp of the Philistines. If you know anything about Old Testament, if you know anything about the priest, the priest would wear an ephod whenever the king or the priest or the people needed to inquire of God what they needed to do in a circumstance. The priest would wear an ephod if they said, I need to inquire. David had to inquire of God when his stuff was taken from him. So they brought the priest and the ephod, and David wore the ephod. So priests and kings would wear an ephod when they needed to inquire of God for a decision that needed to be made. So we see this. We see, we see King Saul underneath a pomegranate tree relaxing. We see the priest wearing an ephod, but we see Jonathan going up and doing something. So Saul was trying to ask a question that he already had an answer to. See, how many of us sit, sit in a time of vision builders when we're asked to give something above and beyond our tithes, above and beyond what we're giving so we can build the house of God? But how many of us think, oh, I'm just going to wait, or, or God, just speak to me. Do you want me to give? Do you want me to serve? Do you want me to be on the, on the creative team? Do you want me to go to my city? Do you want me to go to two services? God, tell me, do you want me? But God is not going to answer you when you ask those questions because he's already given you the answer. See, the reason that God did not reveal the answer to Saul is because God already showed him. Where did he show him? Easy. Back when Moses, in the Bible, took the children of Israel, and then Joshua took him into the promised land, and God promised them that land that now the enemy was occupying. Saul was trying to ask God, God, do you want me to take down this enemy? But God said, I already gave you the answer years ago. When I gave you this land, if I gave it to you, it's yours. And if the enemy tries to take it back, you go back and take it from him again. See, a lot of us are asking questions that God has already given the answer to. God has already given the answer. It shouldn't be, am I going to give? It should be, God, how much do you want me to give? It shouldn't be, do you want me to serve? It should be, when and where do you want me to serve? Not, should I sacrifice, but when and where should I sacrifice? So they go up. Jonathan goes up. Jonathan goes up to this mountain and it says, between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other Senna. The only way for Jonathan to get up to the camp of the enemy was for him to go over two mountain passes. He had to cross over two mountain passes to get to where God had called him to be. That's the title of this message, A Rock in a Hard Place. Because the journey wasn't easy. The journey wasn't convenient. Saul wanted convenience. Jonathan chose obedience. Because on the path of obedience is not necessarily convenient. Jonathan chose obedience. But in order for him to get to where God had called him to be, he had to cross over two mountain passes. The first one he comes to is Bozes. And the actual definition and translation of that mountain is muddy, slippery, or boggy. Jonathan had to get over a mountain that was muddy. 
Jonathan had to get over a mountain that was slippery. Jonathan had to get over a mountain that was boggy. What does muddy do? Muddy slows you down. Muddy gets you dirty. In order for you to fulfill the call of God on your life, you got to be willing to get a little bit dirty. You got to be willing to get your feet dirty. You got to be willing to do things that you wouldn't necessarily do. Jonathan was a prince. He was royalty. People should have laid out rugs for him to walk over that mountain or carried him over. But he says, no, I'm going with my armor bearer and we're going to get muddy on the way because we got to do something. Because we got to do something. Some things are worth the risk. Let me tell you this quick story. Some of you heard it, but that's okay. It's still good. I grew up in Oregon. I grew up in Oregon, rains all the time. Rains all the time, I went to my great-grandparents' house. My great-grandparents had cows. Like a lot of cows, it was awesome. I loved it. A boy, a 10-year-old boy in Oregon, rainy in cows, is like the greatest thing on planet Earth. So we'd go out, we'd go out there and I'd visit my great-grandparents and I'd cross over the electric fence. That's another story. Because if you're a boy and there's an electric fence, you cannot help yourself, you have to touch that thing. <laughs> like because you don't know, is it really on? Or is it just a gimmick to get me to think that I can't cross it? Yeah. All the women are like, you're crazy. And all the guys are like, yep, that's right. And you don't graduate from that stuff. You still do it, no matter how old you are. So I cross over, and I'm in, I'm in the pasture. And, and, and before, before I got there, I went to the store. I went to the store, and I got a blow pop sucker. How many people remember blow pop suckers? Oh, come on. Blow? No. Blow pop suckers are the best thing on planet Earth, okay? You got candy, and then in the middle of candy, you have gum. Like, it doesn't get any better than that. As soon as you're done sucking on the sucker, you get gum to chew on. It's like, boom, let down, boom, awesome. It's great. It's so good, blow pop sucker. So I had a blow pop sucker, and I probably spent about 10 cents on this blow pop sucker. 10 cents, and for a 10-year-old boy, 10 cents was like a life savings, you don't just come around 10 cents very often when you're a 10-year-old boy. So I went, I bought my blow pop sucker. I had it in my mouth. I went out to the cow pasture. I had my gum boots on, and I was playing in the cow poop and in the water. It was the best time ever. But then tragedy struck. As I was playing and jumping around, my blow pop sucker that I had just started sucking flies out of my mouth and travels in the air and spins slow motion. And I see it falling, and I try to grab it, but it's too far, and I'm 10 years old, so I'm not that good and coordinated yet. So it's falling, and then it hits right in the middle of cow poop. And I remember tears running down my face as I see my blow pop sucker in the middle of this cow poop, and I'm staring at this thing. And then I look up. I spent 10 cents on this thing. I am not letting this thing go to waste. So I reach down. I pick this sucker up. Now, if I was, if I was like 12, I probably would have just put it in my mouth. But I actually went and washed it off a little bit, and then I put it in my mouth, which is much better. Because some things are worth the risk. Some things are worth the risk. Legitimately. See, some things are worth the risk in our, in our life. We, we don't want to cross over this difficult mountain pass because we might get dirty along the way. 
but it's worth the risk. We don't want to come to church on a Saturday night because we got plans and barbecues, but it's worth the risk. We don't want to serve because it might take away from me time, but it's worth the risk. We don't want to give because it might take away from my savings account, but it's worth the risk. It is worth the risk getting dirty along the way because if you can just get through it, God's got something great for you. Jonathan was not fighting just for himself. He was fighting for a people and a nation. It's worth the risk. The key to getting through that first mountain was just for Jonathan to keep going. If you're, a, if you're kind of a truck fanatic, and I know we're in San Diego where it doesn't really rain, so we got like lifted trucks for no reason, but in Oregon we got rain and mud. And what people like to do in the rain and mud is drive in the mud. It just makes sense. Like get the biggest tires you can and just go. So if you talk to anybody who's driven in the mud before, if you stop in the middle of the mud, it's game over. The only way to get through it is to keep moving. The only way to get through it is to keep moving. The only way for Jonathan to get through this was to keep moving. There is nothing more that the enemy wants to do than you come to church and everything is awesome. God, I love you so much. I'm serving. I'm at every service. I made great friends. And then tragedy happens. And you were walking in green pastures, but now you got stuck in some mud. And now he wants to slow you down. And now you stop coming to church. And now we stop serving. And now we stop attending. And now we stop doing the same things that we were doing. And then we wonder why we're not having the same breakthrough that we once were having. And then we start blaming it on other people. But it's not the other people. It's just because when we hit a tough time, we needed to keep going, not stop and look around us. So we need, to look, we need to keep going. So Jonathan keeps going. He gets over one mountain pass to get to the next one because sometimes that's how life is. You get over one hurdle just to come to another one. So he gets to this other hurdle, and the, the name of this last one is, is Senna. And the name of Senna, the translation of Senna, and I can have the keys come up, the, na- the translation of Senna is thorny. So the first one is muddy, slippery, and boggy, and the second one is thorny. The first one, in order for Jonathan to get through it, he had to just keep going. But for him to get through the second one, he couldn't just keep walking. Because if you know anything about thorn bushes, when they get snagged in you, and when you get caught up in them, and when you walk through a thorn bush and it gets caught in your clothing or in your skin, if you just keep walking, it actually makes it worse. If you keep walking, it actually makes it worse. The only way for you to effectively deal with thorns is to stop and take them out of your skin and take them out of your clothing. The first one he had to just keep going, but the second one wasn't the same. The first mountain that Jonathan dealt with was some external battles that he had to get over. But the, first, but the second mountain was some internal battles. The second mountain was some internal things, was guilt, was condemnation, was unforgiveness. Unforgiveness, you can't just keep going and hopefully it goes away. You can't just keep walking and hopefully this thing is just going to disappear. It's just going to go away. 
I'm not going to forgive this person. I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to forget about what they did to me. And I don't want to forgive them because they, they don't deserve it. And so we keep walking. But then we, we find out that we've never actually progressed. We've never actually moved forward. We've never actually taken any more ground. Why? Because you didn't know this. But, but when you didn't deal with the unforgiveness and the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, what once was, was kind of surfacy has now ripped itself on the inside of you. And now you can't get over it. And now it's gripped your heart. And now you find a hatred and a bitterness to so many other things. You used to have a joy for life. And you have to, used to have a joy for serving. You used to have a joy for giving. You used to have a joy for worship. But now you don't have that anymore because why? Well, when you first got snagged up by that thorn and that bitterness, instead of dealing with it, you just kept going. But it didn't make it better. It actually made it worse. So tonight we, get, we have an opportunity to deal with the thorns that are in our lives. The only way for Jonathan to get to that place that God had called him was for him to get over those two mountain passes. He had to get over what was muddy. He had to get over what was slippery. He had to get over what was boggy. And then he had to deal with some things. God has got something so great for your life. He's got something so great for your life. Don't let the thorns of the enemy remove your destiny. Don't let the thorns of the enemy remove your destiny. I'm going to have the whole band come up. Help me finish this preach tonight. So we see this. He, he makes it up this. I watched this movie. I watched this movie Unbroken. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's pretty incredible. Louis Zamperini, who died shortly after the finishing of this film. But it shows him he was a World War II bomber pilot and was in charge of a lot of things on a plane. And his plane went down and he was out to sea for 50-something days, I think, just to get captured by the Japanese. He got captured by the Japanese and then he got taken into a place where they tortured him and tried to get answers out from him but never gave any answers. But they barely gave him any food. They gave him food with maggots in it. They hated him. They beat him. They starved him to death. They took his shoes. They took his friend away from him. From that place, he went to another prisoner of war camp in Japan. And when he got there, he's, people found out that he was an Olympic runner. He was an Olympic long-distance runner and really good, and people found out. And so the guards wanted to humiliate him. One day, they stood him up in front of everybody else that was in that prisoner of war camp, and they made them line up in front of him, and one by one, each of them punched him in the face. One by one, every single one of them punched him in the face. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was humiliated. Day after day after day after day after day. I'm watching the movie, and I'm like angry on the inside to see what people can do to somebody else. So I see this happening. But at the end of the movie, after they're liberated and he survives the war, the credits come up. And if you watch any of the interviews with him, the most powerful thing about that story, honestly, is not that he survived the war. The most powerful thing about that story is when he got home, he was a mess. He was a mess. He was a drunkard. He was an alcoholic. He got married and his wife went to a Billy Graham crusade and got saved. Then she drug him along to that same thing, and he got saved. He got delivered. He got set free. 
And then he understood this, that he had to deal with some things in his life. If he needed to keep continuing, he needed to deal with some things. So this man went back to Japan and went and met with every single one of his captors. Every single person that beat him, spat in his face and humiliated him and forgave them face to face. Because he realized that he had some thorns in him. And the only way for him to fulfill the call of God on his life was for him not to just keep walking, but for him to stop and deal with those things. What does it have to do with vision builders? Everything. Because you can sit in here next weekend when we have an opportunity to give and you don't want to give because of something that has happened to you. You don't want to take part because you don't feel it's for you or you don't feel it's the time or there's, there's something, there's something stopping you, there's something blocking it. I want to deal with those things today so when next week when we come, every single one of us gets an opportunity because that's what it is. It's an opportunity to walk forward when the buckets are out here and say, God, I am giving something that costs me something. We have that opportunity. Let me kind of end with this. Let me end, end with this, what, what Jonathan says. So after Jonathan crosses this mountain, he gets up. He gets up and says to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. There was no guarantee. He walked over the mountain. He walked over the next mountain. And then he said, it may be. If you're going to walk over two mountains, it better be a guarantee. But Jonathan says, no, it may be. It may be that the Lord is going to work for us. I think Jonathan did more with a maybe than you and I do with a for sure. Jonathan did more with a maybe than we do with a for sure. It may be that God's going to bless. It may be that God's going to do something. It may be, it may be, it may be, it may be, it may be. I would rather risk some things in my life than miss out on the call of God that he has for me. I would rather do that. It may be. Jonathan created a place for God to move. You and I have to create a place for God to move in our lives. We have to create that space. God wanted to move, but Jonathan had to get up there before God could move. He had to get up there before God could do a miracle in people's lives. So he gets up to that place, and then the, the Philistines say something, and it's like a 50-50 chance. It's the weirdest thing ever. If they say this, God is for us. If they don't, then he's not. Like That's, that's pretty high stakes right there. But yet they do, and so he goes up. And so they said, okay, how, how did you, Jonathan? How did you climb up those mountains? How did you get up them? What was in you? What was something that took place on the inside of you? And this is what I see. Because the Bible is filled with every single answer that you and I need. So it says this. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistines. Then the men of the garrison came. And then verse 13, it says, And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his knees with his armor bearer. In order for Jonathan to get up that mountain, he had to climb with his hands and his knees. What does that mean? He had to use what God had given him in his hands, the gifts, the talents, the abilities. How many of us have stopped using what God has given us in our hands? He had to use what God had given him in his hands, but he also had to get to a place 
where he was willing and humble enough to get on his knees. He was a prince. He was a prince. But he was still humble enough to get on his knees because some things require a move of God, the power and the presence of God. Vision Builders Weekend coming up. There's some mountains for us to get over. There's some obstacles for us to overtake. And we need to use what God has given us in our hands. But we also need to stay humble and get to that place where you say, God, I do not know the answer. I do not know what to do. Speak to me. Heal me. Restore me. So Jonathan makes it up and defeats him. It says even the raiders were trembling. The raiders were the worst of the worst. The raiders were the ones that would go into villages and kill women, children, take everything that didn't belong to them. They were trembling because two men decided instead of me, instead of me sitting underneath a pomegranate tree, instead of me sitting in a place of convenience, instead of me sitting in a place of comfort, instead of me sitting in this place where everything is going to be okay and hopefully God speaks, Jonathan, Jonathan said, no, I'm not going to do that. I know what God has given me. And he's given me a sword. And if he's given me a sword, i got to use that thing that he has given me. So he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to go and sit next to my father. I'm going to go sit in entitlement. I'm going to go sit in that place that, that has been appointed for me. I'm going to go up and do something because people are relying on it. We can't, we can't sit in a place of convenience. We can't sit in that place of comfort. Now, if I could have the band flow with me a little bit, just give me something rocking as, as I finish this thing out. It is, sat, it is Sunday night, Saturday night. It is Sunday night service. We got three minutes left. Let's give three minutes of the best thing ever. Are you ready? Jonathan says, I'm not going to sit in this place of convenience anymore. And then he comes to his armor bearer. He comes to his armor bearer who's bearing his armor, who's supporting him, who's protecting him, who's fighting with him, who's right beside him. And he says, what do you say? It may be. There's no guarantee. You might go up here and lose your life, but are you willing to risk it? Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do something that's crazy? Hey, church, I know we got two campuses and it's awesome, but what if we start a third down in South Bay? What if we start a third down in East Lake? Are you willing to go with me? Pastor Jürgen gets up here this year. And what, what, what if he says, hey, hey, I know we got three campuses and it's awesome. It's incredible. Lives are being changed. People are being set free. Things are happening. But what if? What if? What if? What if? What if we don't just stop at three? But what if we start four? Are you crazy enough? to believe that maybe, maybe God will show up. Maybe he'll bring something. And in response, the response of the armor bearer, what Jonathan says maybe is this. He says, do all that is in your heart. Go then, I am with you according to your heart. Everybody stand to your feet tonight. You're going to want to, I promise you. Are you willing to go with me? Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart.
Pastor Jürgen puts out the call next week. Church, this is our goal. This is where we're going. This is where we're heading. This is what we're going to do. This is the ground we're going to take. What will be our response next weekend? What will be our response Sunday night, Sunday morning, Saturday night, down in East Lake, down here, up in North Campus, when he says we're going to go and take ground? We're going to jump a mountain. We're going to climb something. We're going to take ground. We're going to risk our lives. Our response needs to be to all that is in your heart. It might be crazy. It might be psycho. It might be adventurous. I might be risking a whole lot, but it's worth it. Because I know if we're willing to risk it, God will show up. Anytime Pastor Jurgen says, we're going to do this and go there, I never really question it because I know God is speaking to him and I don't want to be the person that shuts down what God wants to do. Do all that is in your heart. I'm with you. And if it means death, sign me up. I'm with you.